Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's Chris Denson, your gracious host, here with Bruno, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, inside joke from backstage. <laughs> Perna Virgi. Um, tell us a little bit about, let's do the 101 on who Perna is. So I am, in short, a giant nerd. And my job at Microsoft is essentially, I get to go out and research all the cool new technology and think about ways that businesses can use them to, to grow and profit. And then I get to go out and share that information with people like yourself or our clients one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, a typical question, what is something that is super moving you right now, like that you've seen from a technology standpoint, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, and don't say blockchain. No, I think for me, <laughs> really exciting is how AI is helping with accessibility and the changes that have come in. So for example, the thing that always, always makes me cheer up a little bit is this app called the Seeing AI. And what it does is it, it helps the blind see, quote unquote, the world around them. So if they point the phone or something around them and then just press a button, it will be like, oh, okay, this is, it describes to them exactly everything that's around them, which is so amazing. It can read out a menu. So if you want to go alone and eat. You don't rely on anyone else to help you. So, so that for me is the most exciting. Oh, yeah. No, well, I'm always fascinated by like how much technology has been an inclusionary tool, mm -hmm. you know, especially for persons with disabilities. I have this amazing experience where I was in an Uber ride and it was like super quiet inside the car. And I'm like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm about to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there was a tablet on the dashboard that said, how's the temperature in the car? And the guy handed me a keyboard back. Right. And suddenly we were having this conversation and I realized he was deaf. So uh -huh. we like, thanks to, first of all, it was an Uber ride. So mm -hmm. like the shared economy plus Apple plus, you know, free Wi-Fi <laughs> in Austin. <laughs> Um, so no, that's cool. So I, I read a, a statistic about you. Um, oh. yep. Yeah. Is it true? Is it true? You guys It's the number one PPC expert in the world in 2016. Yeah, that was, pretty, it was pretty cool. I was a little champion. <laughs> uh, describe that a little bit. Like where, how does that even become a ranking and, and what is this, the, the Perna, uh, special sauce that goes into it? You know, I think the, so the ranking is based off uh, votes as well as what you've contributed to the industry. So in terms of articles or speaking gigs, that's a small percentage. And then the other percentage is just votes from all over the world for people. So they have this, I think, six to eight week voting period. And people can go out and vote for the people who they think have influenced them or whatever. And then it was such a surprise to me because I'm like, you know, I will never get on this list or, you know, it was... Uh, Suddenly, like, my colleague woke me up in the morning with this urgent text. She's like, congrats. I'm like, what happened? She's like, you're number one. I'm like, where? <laughs> I'm like, number one in trouble again. Did I forget to do my expense reports on time? Because like, I always forget that. But, yeah, it was really, really nice. And I think the key is just, again, try to think about what's going to be the most value for people and then going and finding that. Like, no one wants to hear a sales pitch. Yeah. Um, well, along those lines, like, I mean, you know, you look at your LinkedIn and you see the number of keynotes you've done around the world. What's your, because I, th I think wh whether you're delivering a message on the stage or you're in a room with a client, like there's a certain way of communicating that people resonate with. Um, what kind of strategies do you take to those environments, those explanatory slash educational uh, pitch type environments? Um, for anything, I always try to think about who's my audience, what are the issues they're struggling with, and what can I bring that's actually valuable to them? Is it something that 
they should think about differently? Is there something they can act on differently? I used to be a journalist before, so I did. So I studied journalism. I worked. I worked for PBS for four years here, and so if you keep that mentality, like what's best for the for the reader or the listener, you can come up with a good story. It's not about, you know, what how cool Microsoft is. It's about how you know we can make you cool. Right. And if you can think about it in that way, people it resonates, and that's what I, I just thought about. The people I like listening to, and who are the people that resonate well with me, and I try to I try to steal their secret sauce. Who's on that list? People like Rand Fishkin, uh, Will Reynolds, Chris Denson, Chris Denson, number one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Avinash, there's a whole bunch of people like that. Yeah, Avinash Karshik. There's there's really good people out there. Well, I also find it is interesting, like when you are talking about things like search or pay per click mm-hmm. or you know things that aren't as sexy of of a topic of interest. Yeah. Um, there's still like there, there's engaging storytelling methodologies. Yeah. Like, what from your journalism career do you you know what else do you apply to what you do today? It's the it's the hook. What's going to resonate? So I always try to think about the first sixty seconds is incredibly important for any audience. If you get them there, then you can hold their attention. And I try to think about they have a choice between me and their smartphone. And their smartphone is always going to be slightly more compelling than any speaker on the stage. So how do I, how do I stop them from cheating on me with their smartphone? <laughs> so then I, you try to make it fun. So the opener is always either it's a question or an unusual stat or something that they haven't thought about. I'll try to scour the web for either cool facts. So, for example, my favorite stat at the moment is it's from Gartner and it said by 2020, we'll have more conversations with our bots than with our spouse. I mean, that is... It's such a hysterical stat. And I told I'm my scared. husband that, and he's like, no, my husband's very excited about it. <laughs> he's like, I don't want this to see that. It's like, when's that happening? So, you know, it's so <laughs> funny that you find a, a, a relatable stat like that. That uh, is, that yeah, that, that's pretty crazy. So you're going to be speaking tomorrow, too. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the topic? Don't give it all away, but... No, so my topic is as far as AI can see. Like how as my far husband as I doesn't see. want to talk to me anymore. Exactly. So all these cool stats that make my husband very happy... No, I'm talking about how AI is changing search and what are three things that we can do right now to take advantage. I find people always think of AI as very futuristic or very nebulous. Um, I want to break it down. I'm like, here's three tangible ways that you can see it changing. And these are these like four things you can do. So it's things that SEOs can work on, things like PPCs can work on, things any discipline of marketing can benefit from that. That's awesome. Um, with your job at Microsoft, I mean, obviously it's a huge company, yeah. um, but you get to go be this beacon of future forward thinking. Um, what makes your position unique within the company? Um, and yeah, and how does that like execute on a, on a daily basis? You know, I think I'm really lucky that they have allowed me to go out and represent such a wonderful brand that's been there for, you know, over four decades, such a strong brand. I think they give us a lot of freedom. So I have, I get to go out and research my own content. I get to put together my own storylines, of course, operating within brand guidelines. But yeah, I think it's a very cool role. There's only a handful of people like me at Microsoft. I mean, compared to the large over 100,000 person company. And just to go out there and find the story and then like put it together and then share it is the, to me is the most soul fulfilling thing I could do. Well, you obviously, you, you all, I mean, that means you are super informed and you did some writing last month that I like, I wrote down some notes because I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, one, because especially with your interest in, in interesting statistics, um, our brains process images 60,000 times faster than text. 
Um, and if we are price sensitive versus value sensitive, and it's all about us. And this was kind of about like text based um, advertising. So the, expound on that particular topic. Because I thought that was relatively interesting. Yes, I was trying to think about this because I my friend and I were talking about some ad, and we're like, oh yeah, we you know we still remember this ad. You know, there's advertisements that stick in our mind. Like even years later, you don't forget it. And we were like, oh, I wonder what makes some ads like sticky, like in a good way, not, you know, all the ones that like flame and die out, you know, remember those. But so then I was um, looking, I was where we work with Focusrite, which is a big travel research company, and they do research in the travel vertical. So they went out and actually looked and answered this question, particularly just for travel ads. So like, what makes you remember travel ads? And they, were, they found the three things were visual, the price is clear, there's some value, and then it is personalized. So I'm like, well, that, of course that makes sense. As humans, like, we do want things to be all about us. Like, if you look at personalization, it's such a big buzzword, but it really matters. And then, yeah, we are visual creatures. Right? We, we eat with our eyes, we travel with our eyes, we fall in love with our eyes. So it just makes sense that if you see something visual, it sticks. And then, of course, value every human, especially me. I'm very, very poisoned. <laughs> Coupon, yes. Right. Um. Uh-huh. So I guess in that same context, like, why do we miss the mark so often? Because I think some advertising is like, "Ah, it's just, it's in the way, right? And uh, obviously, we're here at Inbound, and it's all about this invitation coming to our world and transact with us in some way. Uh, Like, how do we get to that conversion? And, you know, I guess a two-part question is, is why do we miss that mark so often? Because it is basic human, you know, interest. Right. It is, I think, because there's a lot... It's so nuanced and there's lots of different levers that you could pull. And sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to pull every lever for if you're working with lots of different clients. I think if you all go back to the customer, and I, I, I swear I sound like a broken record on this, but it does. It all starts with your audience. Keep them in mind. What's going to appeal to them? What are their pain points? So I always recommend any creative person when they're writing ad copy, I'm like, do these three things. One look at the reviews online for yourself and your competitors. You will find things in your customers' own words that describe why they like or don't like you. That's gold when it comes to writing ads. Try to talk to your salespeople if you can, because they have the voice of the customer. Try to understand what they're saying. And then think about why they want your product, what's it going to do, and what are the different sort of segments? Like, how far are they in the process? So if somebody's come in, they watched a video, they know more about me. I can target them differently. So in those ways, if you can apply all of that knowledge, your ads can be far more creative and effective as opposed to being like, buy more, learn more. Like, that doesn't work anymore. We've matured past that. That's great. And along those same lines, you do a lot of training internally at Microsoft? Some internally, a lot more with our clients. I'll go visit agencies and train their teams nice and what and so what specifically are you training them on is it just like all of Perna's thoughts or are they is it, are you taking specific microsoft suites of products or are you just kind of going like ai as a as a you know as a topic of interest so it, it runs the gamut so there's a few different things some of them like if i'm speaking to a c-suite of a large global agency then they want to hear about ai what's coming how could they strategize for their clients, if I'm talking to some of like the daily doers, I'll talk to them about, you know, here's how you can think about things differently, or here's tactical advice. Or sometimes it's even sales enablement. People who work in the space every day, they don't get that training that the sales teams get. So, but you still have to convince your client or your boss or your stakeholder to implement it. So sometimes it will do like this 
training on, here's how you can persuade your client. Right. And uh, I would imagine a lot of also includes some emotional intelligence because a lot of us just try to sell what the product is. Yeah. Not really know how to read a room or, you know, just really like engage with someone. Like how much is, how much of your work focuses on the tech versus sort of like the EQ of the, the team that you're talking to? The why has to be very clear. So the EQ has to be there for them to want to listen to the boring bits. Yes. I mean, there's not that many ways that you can sex up like a step-by-step. Here's how you can go into the UI, press this button, you can do this. But if I get them excited about the why and what it can achieve and how it'll make their life easier or how make them what's in it for them, then they're super into like, show me how to press these 10 buttons so I can get there. So uh, you also had a... a, a- we we're talking earlier about your humble beginnings in the theater. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> the theater. How did that sound? Was that good? That was excellent. Yeah. You since you've been on many stages, but you got you got to travel a lot and help put shows together and things like that. You know what? And now you typically do the same thing. You know what are some commonalities you see? No matter what part of the world you go to, because a lot of times we say, "Oh, they do that in Asia," or "This happens in APAC," or "This yeah. happens in this region." But there's some universal truths that I'm sure you've experienced along the way. I think it is. So with theater, like I was a very lowly stage hand. It's theater. Yes, theater. I was a very lowly stage hand. So all I did, I was like putting the, I'll get the props out, I'll organize everything, I'll book the hall. So that was my thing. So now, but what I've noticed and what I learned from the actors and the actual talent who was out there is keeping the energy up. Um, That's a really big thing that I take into my talks today because you'll notice that there is a path. You'll start off strong, they'll listen, but then people tend to fade out it's human nature but i need to insert something else that will get the energy right back up in the middle then boom i have the attention back and then do that it's varying the pace of your speaking it's varying it's pausing sometimes for effect because if something's quiet like three seconds pause on stage feels like an eternity to you <laughs> so i'm always so uncomfortable i'm like i want to speak now i want to speak now but no it takes um it's doing that and then people start to pay attention it's like hey what's happening why is it quiet so it's whatever small things you can do um, to resonate, it helps. What was what was your learning? Because I know even to this day, sometimes when I start talks, I like I start off talking really fast, and I was like, "Oh, I'm done." The forty minute talk was done in fifteen minutes. I'm like, "Oh, so what else you guys want to talk about?" Um, but what were some learning curves that you had to experience, like in the moment? Because, like you said, the three second lull feels like an eternity, yeah. or seeing the person on the cell phone with the yellow pants. I'm, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Or, you know, just like those sorts of moments and like, how do you get, you know, what was that learning curve like for you? So now I think that the two key things that I've learned to do that help that, the pacing a lot is do two dry runs at home. And then while I'm doing that, I have to check what's my middle mark. So I'll know that, okay, by halfway, so if it's a 20 minute talk, then by minute 10, I want to be in this, these slides and this area and then I'll know how I'm doing if I'm too fast then I'll slow down if I'm too slow then I'll speed up so if you can know your and then your 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 three-fourth mark so halfway and three-fourth if I know that then I can really pace myself well and what and what do you in any part of your work when you encounter a group of people what do you want them to walk away with like because obviously they're not going to walk away with all your knowledge. No. Per se, but like, what's that thing that you want them to go home and like not lose? It depends on the talk. So yeah. I, I, I read this really interesting stat, I think, from one of the other speakers that people only take away 10% of your talk. So you have to be really clear. 
And I used to be guilty of putting like more information and let, let me pack it all in because I want to give as much value. But that actually has the opposite effect where people can't remember, it's overwhelming, it's clutter. So now I keep it to three things. I have to make sure I write out what are my three things and then I'll reinforce it in the deck and I'll do it in my recap at the end as well. And don't forget. And usually it's things like, you know, this is possible. You can go do this. So for example, for tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, it's not this nebulous, scary thing. It's happening today. It's making search better. And here's what you can do to better engage your clients. And on the AI side, there's also just a lot of like superficial fear, you know, yes, it's, like, it's going it? to take over, you know, um, is that a real danger? And, you know, do, what do you see? If so, what do you see combating that? I think Hollywood has a lot to be blamed for the images. Because if we, Haley Joel Osment. All of these different movies have made. Thank you, sir. He got have made us, you know, like Terminator, her, all of I think it's also set really incorrect expectations. Like no digital assistant is smart enough yet to be like the movie Hollywood. Like they're just not able to have that conversation. So I think, are we at that point? Absolutely not. Like really, it's like asking a baby toddler to... Think of AI, if I had to use a child analogy, AI is in, its, is, its, is in its infancy. So it's not doing anything yet. And the ways to prevent that is, again, instilling the right sort of values and boundaries. And it's the ethics in AI that are really, really important. So all the really main companies like, like Microsoft, like Google, like IBM, like any of these companies that are working on creating AI, they have to be really careful. You've got to build in things like... Uh, it should always be respectful of the humans. You need to work on overcoming biases because it's the AI will only take in whatever biases that the humans who build it have. So you want to make sure that the humans who are building it are very cognizant of what may be. So it's all of these things, if you think about it in the beginning, will work out well. Tay was a really good experiment. Wasn't and, it? Like, but it was... Uh, you guys remember Tay? It was the AI that I forget who launched the. AI. It was Microsoft. Oh, and oh. so yeah, no, no, that's okay. We actually thought Tay was something. about that. <laughs> it was such a fantastic learning experience. So what happened was, and I'll give you like the sixty-second backstory. In in China, we launched this um, sort of friend chatbot called Shawais back in twenty fourteen, and she was immensely popular. Like she's, uh, she reached celebrity status. She has over like I think. Um, she reads out the weather on Chinese news. She's like, you know, come on TV shows. She's so popular. She's like an AI celebrity. People love her. Like people take, they spend like a long time chatting with her each day. So she was so successful so early on in China. I think like well over 40 million users. Um, they were like, okay, let's bring this to the West. And they launched Tay pretty much like they launched Shawais, but they launched her on Twitter and then very quickly, now, one way that an AI could at that time mimic compassion or relatability would be to mimic your way of talking. So if I'm like, you know, oh, I'm so tired, they'll be like, oh, you know, don't be so tired. Like, what can we do? So it's just a way of mimicking what you say. It's a, it's a mirroring, right? And uh, so, yeah, Twitter, a lot of people taught her very early on that you can be quite hateful. And so then... She just learned whatever was fed to her, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And but but it taught us so much. We're like, okay, so we know that we need to Absolutely. have so many guardrails and these are these different things that we should think about. So yes, it was. I terrible. want to give one example because I actually used Tay in the talk. Did. Okay. Um, and I had a slide. I just went to the next slide and it just said Hitler was right. And then I had to explain. Sorry, yes. Uh, but I had, to, but then I used it as an opportunity to explain exactly what you're talking about, like how this AI. But that was one of the things that Tay had learned to, you know, to, like it was basically spewing hate speech and just. 
gobbledygook. Um, so how do you, is there a next experiment with something like that, right? Like, <laughs> do you go like, all right, here's Tay 2. Like, what's the, what's the next sort of public engagement in the next phase after taking the learnings and then applying it to phase two? So we have Zoe now. She's, in the, she's on Facebook Messenger. You can engage with her. And but she will not engage in any sensitive topics. Even if you try to tell her about, you know, any like XYZ world leader is dumb. She'll be like, let's not talk about this. Let's talk about something else. So, you know, she will not engage in a sensitive topic, but she's great. You can chat with her. She's if like, you know, I'm having a really bad day. She'll empathize and talk to you. It's actually really nice to talk to her. I know it sounds bizarre, but try it. You can play uh, the, the card game Exploding Kittens with Zoe as well. She can do lots of cool stuff. So check her out. She said, there's this. <laughs> What what is our attraction to bots? Like, I mean, the the technology itself has been around for a while, but then our engagement and conversation with seemingly at least to me, like an inanimate, like just a computer screen. Um, what is our, I guess, humanistic attraction to these types of conversations? So if you think about chatbots per se, yeah, they've been around for a while, but what's making them effective now is is AIs, they're actually really smart. And they make simple tasks a lot more efficient. So for example, five years ago, if I wanted to order pizza, I would have to either call the company or go to the website. Now I can simply message Domino's Pizza Hut, whatever, on Facebook Messenger being like, I want my easy order. And 30 minutes later, you go pizza. It take you what ten seconds to do that? So I'm much sold now. You, should, I you had me a pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's lots of things. It's <laughs> face so you can tie to your account. There's lots of things. Like one eight hundred flowers is a really good example. Try going through their regular website checkout. It's fine. It's your standard checkout. But if you try to go through the same checkout process via their Facebook Messenger bot, it is a fraction of the time. It's so much easier. There's far less choices. It's great. And they saw really good success with it too. So I think what bonds can do is they can, it's just an easier, faster route to achieve your goal. And that's why they're so popular. Uh, to go into nerdy stats for a second, Juniper Research studied the banking and finance industry with bots. They found that it can shave off over four minutes per transaction. Great for us to get our time back but also great for the business. They save a lot of money, like over $8 billion by 2022 would be saved. That's and, awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I, I used to run the innovation practice for a media agency called OMD, and we would do these trend reports, and one of them uh, we called artful intelligence, right? And this idea of like, there's still humans involved in the interaction in some way, whether it's curating a playlist, like Spotify's playlists mm -hmm. are like human curated, right? Or Pluto TV, or there's all these platforms where humans still are part of the conversation. And I guess that's a two-sided question because part of it is where does that come into play in Microsoft mm -hmm. or some of the tech that you've seen? But also this idea of like eliminating jobs. Is that a real threat? You know, when you start to think about human beings, I don't know. Maybe threat's not the right word, but. No, but this is something that people should, uh, you know, there, it's a few different things. It's like when you had the industrial age, jobs shifted. And that's what I see happening. I think there's going to be so many new jobs created. So now, like you said, a chatbot or something, it's this human behind it to create the conversation flow. So a really big job of the, of that's coming up is conversation designer. So it's people who do really well in it tend to be people like script writers for movies or, or TV shows. They are so good at creating these conversations. So these people are now getting employed or in conversation design for user experience for AI. So all of these new jobs are coming up. I would say if your job is like super repetitive, that if you can... Just if it's reporting all the time 
on something, like an AI can help do that, it'll free you up to do more creative. Like a machine can only be limited in creativity, but it can do repetitive tasks really well. But again, I would say there's not that much to worry about. Like if you remember when calculators first came out, all the accountants, it was this hue and cry. Like The catheters? Uh, calculators. Okay, right. Sorry. Like, I do remember when catheters <laughs> came out. <laughs> calculators came out. There was all of this hue and cry about, oh my God, accountants, tax people, we have no job anymore. But come on, it just made it easier. You still have a job. That's absolutely true. Uh, there's um, uh, there's a, a guy I interviewed who wrote a book uh, called the, the, the Pirate's Dilemma. And it was all about sort of like the history of piracy and was uh, one of the stories he talked about was like the invention of the record player. And like all these bands thought that they were going to be out of work because most establishments had live music. And yeah. so like, but look how it skyrocketed, you know, so many different individuals' careers or any other industry when we think something's going to be taken out by the next thing and kind of like radio versus movies versus television yeah. versus YouTube, they all still exist, right? Yeah. So it's just a, a better shared experience. Um, let's talk about voice. Okay. Um, I have a few echo devices in my home, um, but like where does voice come into your world and, and where do you see that being and, and headed to? Um, I think voice, is really important, but I should, and I'm going to talk about this more in detail tomorrow, but I should quickly say where voice has a, it's got a naming issue. Everyone just thinks of voice as voice search, and then we're all running around and be like, oh, how do I SEO my website for voice search? Search itself is actually a really small percentage. Not that many people are using voice interactions to search or buy things. What we're using it for is to control things in the world around us, like play this music, turn on the light. Um, you know, give me an answer to a quick fact. It's things like that. So how do you use that as a way to discover and engage with your customer? So that's what businesses should be thinking about. And yeah, I think voice is incredibly important. A, voice is very universal. So even if you can't read or write, for example, you can speak, you can use it. Um, my son, before he could read or write, he was talking to Alexa, for example, right? So it's so universal. Anyone can use it. It is also easier. You can speak 3.75 times faster than you can type. So it's just, again, more convenient. If I want to know, like, hey, just how long do I need to boil my egg for it to be soft-boiled, I'll ask it. Get an answer quickly. I ask that a lot, actually. And I, like, yeah. I, 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 like, I literally never answer. remember how long to boil an egg for. I'm like, I'm so, so. I know. We should do it again because I, I can't remember the <laughs> I think answer. Alexa rolled her eyes at me. Yeah. <laughs> we have told you this about 8 billion times now. <laughs> <laughs> right, you get your report back on how much you, you yeah. use it. Um, and, and so also you're starting to see it like embedded in cars and hotels and other places of business right. where it's, you know, yes, there's a personal device or interaction you might have, but there's also just like business and customer service parts of it in, yeah. in the real world. Have you seen that in, in, in your work? Yeah, a lot more. So for example, at Microsoft, we worked with, uh, with Nissan to embed Cortana within the car. So you can ask it, like, hey, check my emails, or where's my meeting? She's like, oh, your meeting is here. Shall I give you directions? Or it'll remind you to, you have a service coming up. Your car's due for servicing. I've checked your calendar. You have Wednesday morning and Thursday morning free. When do you want to book it? So all it's trying to do is take the pain out of life admin, and it fits everywhere. So a lot of people tend to think about voices only with these home devices, but that's not where the bulk of them are going to grow. Juniper Research did this study where they found there's going to be 5 billion of these digital assistants in use. Four, of, four out of them will be on your mobile phone. There's only like a small, like 1 billion uh, 
on these home devices because you're not at home all the time. You, if it can come with you, it'll be great. So you want to think about the seamless experience. If I'm having a conversation with Cortana on my phone and then I have her at home on my Harman Kardon speaker and then in my car, that's the value. It's like seamless. We want technology to sort of disappear from sight and then help us wherever we are. Um, is there anything, cause I was thinking also, I mean, when you mentioned the, the, um, the seeing AI earlier, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of it being augmented reality in a sense, right. And not in the way that we typically think about it. Most of us think of a screen and then something pops up on the screen, but yeah. it's augmenting sight or you're augmenting audio. Like you can augment a lot of different things. Um, where else is augmented reality come up, you know, in your day to day? So a really big one is with something called HoloLens, Microsoft HoloLens. So it is, it's called, we call it mixed reality because you can interact, sorry, with the virtual elements as well. Uh, A good experience would be if I'm like a home design store and I'm like, okay, how do I put this furniture together? Then if you could have a hologram explain to you, like, okay, put this part here, that would be so much easier to do that. It's also really great in terms of, uh, I mean, I'll give Google a credit where credit is due. Like with their maps, they have a little, like a fox, a little animal that points you and walks in the direction so you follow it, which is really good and easy. There's lots of really, really good uses, um, whether it comes from commerce or car manufacturers. If I was going to a car showroom, I don't have to look. So we, we worked on this with Volvo, where I don't have to just look at one design. If I'm like, oh, what, if, what would it look like in blue? You know, instantly change the color or what would it look like with sunroof? Uh, a different model. So it's, it's really cool. And you can l- look inside the car and take it apart just right standing where you are. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about in terms of, because I haven't been able to stump you yet, uh, robotics. Because you, especially when you think about customer service, I know a few years ago, like the um, Orchard Supply Hardware had the Oshbot and it was just one of those things you could ask like, hey, you could show it a hammer and it'll tell you where the hammers are in the stores, but go. it would also read the shelves to tell you like what the inventory was. And it could also call up customer service and spoke different languages. Um, but also, you know, I think in some ways we have the same sort of societal fear about robots as we do with AI. Um, and knowing that both of them are kind of like young by design, right? Like oh. a robot is, has the intelligence of, I think like a five to seven year old, mm. somewhere around there. Um, but where, you know, just, uh, where have you seen robotics taking a you know a, a, a leap forward? In Asia, really. So, I I'm really lucky that I got to go to Singapore and and India a few times for work, and it's so exciting to see what they're doing there or what uh, just different companies as well in China are doing. You there's like a nanny robot as well for the kids. They have if you work at a, um, a sort of an elderly care home, they have bots that can help monitor all of that. There's a where is it? I think I think it's in China where you go to like a, it's one of those fast food like McDonald's. You the robot will walk up to your table and then will roll up to your table and take your order. So it's kind of cool. Like in Japan, that like has like a, a couple of hotels that are like solely robot. Operated. Oh, that's right. They tested yeah. it like a room service via a robot, which is very cool. So you have to think about it. So those are I think for us in the West, I think we but scarier still to think about. But there's applications. So a really good application right now is something that we're doing in Australia with this company where it, it, it's like a, it flies, a little robot that flies and scans all the shelves so it can quickly identify like, hey, what needs to be restocked? What are the different trends? What are we seeing? 
And based on that, it comes up with some really cool trends. So then, for example, they realize that next to, you know, women's sanitary care products, you should stock like chocolate and, and salty snacks. And that all sells really well together because I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Well, you, you bring up a great point with the cultural differences, right? Like, you know, in Asia where, the, especially in Japan, for instance, where there's like a growing elderly population. And of course, these yeah. are caretaking robots. And as, as we start to see it grow in the West, uh, we do see more customer service orientation. And I think this whole conversation uh, has been amazing. Um, but talk a little bit more about the practical application of the thinking, not necessarily the whatever, because the tech, in my opinion, is ubiquitous. Like it can yeah. be anything. Um, but I, I like to turn on that switch and people and it's like, all right, here's how I should just be thinking about this stuff going forward. Right. And what are those, some of those basic principles? So I think if we think about why something like a chatbot uh, or if you think like WeChat, all of that was so popular in China, like why did it get so popular there? So I, I was looking up for some research and it found that it's because of the of the culture. So commerce in China tends to be very conversational. You have a lot of conversations before, during and after the sale. So for example, if I go to this even a vegetable vendor, I'm like, oh, you know, how are these tomatoes? How are these peppers? You want to know, you ask a lot of questions to know, like, can I trust you? Can I come to you each week to buy my stuff, etc.? So it's a very conversational focus. So that's why, like, something like a chatbot makes perfect sense because it just helps pick up the heavy lifting. So if we think about, again, each society is slightly different. You know, maybe the West is slightly different than, than that. What would work for us? Like, where's the pain points? Where can we give the machine some of the heavy lifting to do, and then they can plug in, and then things change. So like that's why all of this WeChat, it started there first. Then we wanted it here with like WhatsApp and all of these other Facebook Messenger and Skype and everything got way more popular. Uh, you know a lot of things, so thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> where, like, where do you go for your sources of inspiration or information? Like, are you a fast company nut? Or like, what, like what's your sort of education? What's Perna's educational journey during the week? Oh, so there's, I know, I'm such a nerd. My Friday night is like glass of wine. And I, I read a few different sites. I read The Drum. I'll read The Next Web, TechCrunch. I'll go look up. Luckily, there's, you know, thousands of people who are like super brilliant, far more brilliant than I could ever hope to be at Microsoft. So I like read their research and what they come up with and learn from them. So that's been really, really great. So I'll look at our own. Uh, Microsoft has a transform blog that I personally love. Like I'm always fascinated by whatever I read there. So I'll look at that. I'm writing it down. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm stealing all your, all your. Please do that. They're all really <laughs> great. And then sometimes if I'm thinking about a topic, I'll just go and I just bing it and then see what results come up. So with all that stuff, you know, this show is called Innovation Crush. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see out there that you're currently crushing on? Like, what's that one thing that's giving you goosebumps? You've said a lot today, yeah. but like, what's that one thing you're like, oh my God, and it could be in your world. It might be art. It might be cuisine. I don't know. Like, but is there something that you personally have a crush on right now? Oh my gosh. In terms of innovation, I think it is how it's, how just intelligent machines are making our day-to-day -day a lot easier. Because I'm a big, I'm really into like efficiency. So it's so... I don't like processes that are painstaking. And if I have 60 seconds, I'll give you an example. So um, every Thanksgiving, we like to go away because we get a week. It's a lot cheaper than going during like the December holidays anywhere. And we like to go to Europe because it's far cheaper than the U.S. Because it's like Thanksgiving is peak time in the U.S. But like there's nothing going on there. So I'm like, it's cheaper. Let's go there. And sometimes we have a preference. Sometimes we don't. So there was one time I'm like, well, I just want to go to like the cheapest city to fly to. But it was so painstaking to do the search. I'm like, Philadelphia to Dublin, 
Philadelphia to Rome. And I had to like screenshot prices and then compare. It was so annoying. I'm like, I just want to ask the machine. I'm like, what's the cheapest city in Europe for me to fly to? And it has the information already. Why can't it just tell me that? You know, that's when you're like, I miss the human. But right. so it's things like that. So now Skyscanner has something where you can do a search and be like your origin city and then you can do everywhere. And then it will give you like the top three cheapest cities anywhere in the world. It's interesting because, you know, I think there's a few services out there that are starting to like T-Mobile, I think, has been talking about it a lot. But like bringing the humans back into the conversation because yes. I, I get press one for the and it's like no half hour later yes. <laughs> I still haven't I don't have zero answer to whatever I was mm-hmm. going there for um do you see that happening a lot more just um like that from that customer service experience I think so I think people are realizing that we're just not at that age where we're okay with these like really tedious processes and we're just gonna go find an alternative so customers have to I mean businesses have to make their customer experience far better to have hope of retaining it because we're in this world where I don't compare you to the to your competitor in terms of customer service I compare you to like the best customer service I've had anywhere so that's my standard now yeah that was, well it's funny you say that that was one of our our trends as well was just like my choice will be based on speed and efficiency like I might even pay more yeah, money exactly to get the jeans faster you know than yeah. I would to for the the discounted pair exactly um last but not least complete this phrase for me I know. Uh, <laughs> innovation to me is. Oh, man. Innovation to me is coming up with just new ideas and ways of doing things that have never existed before. I'm sorry, it was so lame. It was so no, was that lame? Was you guys? Uh, See? <laughs> They've all been pleased. <laughs> well, thank you for joining Innovation Crush here at Inbound. Um, and you're going to stick around for some questions, yes? Yeah, absolutely. I just bound you to it, so no, I am have happy to. to. I have to. I get to go to another session, so I'm just I'm darting. It. I can stay. No, no, no. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. This <laughs> Thank was you. so fun. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Round of applause for Perna. For Chris. I mean Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys.